Good evening. So tonight we are um, getting a little bit more into John 11, the story behind the story that we talked about this morning. Uh, tonight, This morning we started at verse 17, and tonight for Sunday night study, I just want to focus on those first 16 verses of John chapter 11. So if you're in your Bibles, turn there. Raising Lazarus is the seventh miracle of Jesus' ministry that John presents. Uh, Surely did not entail all of the miracles, but here's the ones that John has presented so far. Turning water to wine at Cana, uh, the healing of the nobleman's son uh, in chapter 4, the healing of the lame man chapter 5, the feeding of the 5,000 with loaves and fishes in chapter 6, Uh, Walking on the water uh, later in chapter 6 and healing the blind man in chapter 9. So those are the first six. Tonight is number seven in the raising of Lazarus. We talked about this morning. Jesus has raised two other people that we know from the Gospel of Luke, the widow's son and Jairus' daughter. Uh, He raised them from death. But their situation seems a little little bit different. And with Lazarus, he's... Extra dead, if you, I can just put it that way. He, he was, uh, had died and had been in the tomb four days um, and probably was beginning to smell, according to Martha. So this is a little bit of a unique of the three times when Jesus raises someone. Uh, this one's probably the most memorable and is certainly described in that way. So we're going to start reading in chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. Now, A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when he heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. You've got to think about that for just a second, because you know where the story goes. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, a little bit more insight that we got this morning. We know Jesus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha. This was no casual friendship. You have different levels of friendship in your life. You have people that you're, you know, you kind of see, maybe give a head nod, you know, a wave. uh, But they're not, you don't really know their name. You just kind of see them around, okay? Then you have acquaintances, people that you, you know a little bit about them. It's mostly surface level. Uh, I call these kind of the four-year conversations. You see people, you wave to them, make Uh, converse, you may know their names, a little bit of their life, but you're not too. Then you have friendships, you know, people that you really do know and love and you value the time that you're with them, you enjoy talking with them, may have similar interests, uh, similar family, maybe maybe you're in a similar age range in life, but you're just closer to them. For whatever reason, you just find humans that you click with. Mama Jay, Jennifer's got a, a book club. She's working through this book, and it's called Find Your People. And I can't think this is kind of the premise of it, that you, we all need community, whether we think we do or not. And so we've got to be intentional about seeking out those relationships. Uh, even with Jesus, you know, he had the 12 
uh, of course, he had many disciples, uh, hundreds at one point, and, but the 12 were the ones, the apostles, the ones that he sent out on specific missions. And even among those, he had kind of a close inner circle, Peter, James, and the disciple whom he loved, John. So, with, with Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus, this is not just, hey, we heard of this Jesus guy. This is somebody they know and love. And they've spent a lot of time together, and uh, he's made a deep impact on their life. And sounds like they just clicked. They just enjoyed. I don't think they were a click, but I think they clicked personality-wise. And the message comes to them, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Which tells us a little bit about their friendship. It was, it was deep. It was more than just a casual thing. Um, I, I wonder in my mind how Lazarus's friendship with Jesus grew and changed, and certainly how it changed after Jesus raised him from the dead. Because from then on, Lazarus and Jesus uniquely knew some things about the other side of death that no one else knew, not even the, the girls. So they were very close. I'm sure they grew closer through this. Uh, Mary is the one who anointed Jesus' feet with her hair and with her tears. Uh, The story of this is told also in the Gospel of John and are probably very familiar with the account of it in Luke chapter 10. But here we're told that it was was, uh, Mary who did that, who was the one with the ointment to the nard and she, who wiped his feet with her hair and so forth. So we understand this, this relationship is deep, very important, and it almost makes you question even more when they're going through this loss what they must have been feeling. Because when you go through loss, you have, you have different levels of expectation with people. The people that you know casually, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really expect them to know anything about your loss. And people that you know by name might know you, and they might say, hey, how's this going, or how's that going? The people that are really your close circle, you, you would almost be offended if they, if they weren't really, you know, if something big was going on in your life, or you had lost something, you say you lost a job, or we're going through a health problem, and this group didn't even mention anything, didn't ask about it. So, from Mary and Martha's perspective... Um, sending a message to the one whom you love after all they've been through and not hearing back and not seeing Jesus and not having him show up to heal him and not having him at the funeral. Um, It's easy to understand why they, both Mary and Martha, almost the first thing that John records them saying is, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. They are in close relationship. They have sent a message, and yet Lazarus still gets, gets sick. They sent word to Jesus. We're told that uh, Bethany is just two miles away, less than two miles away. This is verse 18 that we read this morning. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. The point is, uh, Jesus was pretty close. I am by no means the... Uh, arbiter or representative or ambassador of anything health-related. 
but yesterday, uh, it was so nice, I went for a walk twice. And my iPhone tells me that I walked 2.97 miles. And, uh, and that took me like an hour and a half. Okay, I'm a slow walker, no judgment, thank you. Okay, but it was just a casual stroll. I'm trying to tell you something that, that Jesus was closer than the amount that I walked yesterday. And he didn't get there. John's telling us something. How could you be so close and be so far away? But still, Lazarus gets worse. Jesus doesn't show. Uh, some suspected, as we read this morning, that this was proof that Jesus wasn't able. And the Jews who were mourning with Mary, they said, how could this guy who healed a blind man, couldn't he have done something? You know, the skeptics. And the second thing is people might say this is proof that Jesus doesn't care. Of course, we don't believe that, but skeptics use these arguments all the time in relationship to God. Some might say that perhaps Lazarus was being punished. If, if Jesus loved him, why, why did he let him get sick? And why certainly did he not show up? Uh, the blind man in John chapter 9, the account is, Rabbi, who sinned? Who's responsible for this? What possible? Man, there, there must be, have been some serious offenses toward God that he is punishing him in this way. So, not necessarily that we buy into that, but some might look outwardly at the situation with Lazarus and Jesus and say, was Jesus not able? Did Jesus not care? Or is Jesus letting him receive his just desserts for some unknown sin? Jesus supersedes all of that. Of course, he has a greater purpose in mind. It's for God's glory. And this, this phrase... For God's glory is going to is repeated over and over again, especially in the Gospel of John. If you want to follow along, uh, John chapter one, verse fourteen: The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus' purpose in his life was to glorify the Father. John chapter 8, verse 50. I am not seeking glory for myself. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Jesus wasn't seeking glory for himself. He certainly could have received it. Certainly many people at certain different times gave it to him, but he did not seek it. And there, there is a difference in that. <laughs> you know people who only do things for the glory. They're only, they're only generous when they're going to get recognition. They're only, they're only going to do good when, they're gonna, when, when everybody's watching. You know, social media, this is kind of a thing. Of course, everything's for clicks and views and going viral and all of that. But you'll see some, you know, YouTuber with a gazillion followers and he'll have a 
$10,000 and go to a Walmart and say, hey, would you like $10,000? Oh, yeah, okay, oh, it changed my life. Ah. Well, I mean, that's nice and generous and all that, but could you have done that without posting the video to your channel? Or did you just do that for your own glory? Jesus did good everywhere he went, but he didn't do it for his glory. He sought to glorify the Father. Uh, He had a greater purpose in mind even than healing Lazarus, or, or healing anyone for that matter. In chapter 11, verse 4, this is the, the uh, verse I alluded to. This, sick, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, i got to be questioning, if he, Jesus, you really understand how sick he was here? Because it seems like he's dead. You said he wasn't going to die. Or maybe, just maybe, Jesus knew a lot more than they did, which of course is the case. This sickness will not end in death. Is a secondary reminder that if you're going through a valley, sometimes you see the valley as the end. And God has greater perspective than you, and so did Jesus. This sickness will not end in death. Well, he got sick and he died. Okay, the point is, he didn't, it didn't end there for Lazarus. It didn't end in death. Uh, it's the old saying. Uh, I can't remember the old saying, so that must mean I'm old. All right. Uh, he had a greater purpose than the disciples' understanding. Uh, chapter 13, verse 7. I really love this verse. Um, it's a whole sermon in and of itself. This is... Right before Jesus would be betrayed, right before he'll leave them, right before a lot of things. And he's washing the disciples' feet. An act of deep love and intimacy and and an act I'm sure they will not forget. And Jesus goes to take the servant's place. I mean, it was just, it defied all sense of decorum. You do not have the master teacher washing feet. It it offended them, and it should have. Except when you understand what Jesus' purpose was. So he he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. And he came to Simon Peter. He said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand. Now. But later, you will understand. Jesus was master of understatement. (laughs) He was really good at saying something that was profoundly true. For Peter... Get ready for what Peter's about to do. Peter has no idea. And Jesus looks him in the eyes. You don't, you don't understand it at all now. But later, you will. Which is a really cool lesson for Peter. 
and not a bad lesson for us too. I'm convinced every Christian, by walking by faith, comes to a point at their, some point in their life when they just say, God, I don't, I don't understand what you're doing here. And that's okay. That's right where some of the best moments of trust come in. But later, you will understand. Maybe later in your life, or maybe later in the afterlife. But you're going to come to a point where you don't understand. That's okay. The promise is still true. Later, you will understand. So his purpose was greater than himself and than healing and disciples' understanding. It was totally about glorifying God. John chapter 17 verse 4 says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So a little thought question here I wanted to ask. What would happen if your entire life or every part from this moment forward was devoted more and more solely for the glory of God? Not the glory of yourself, Not the glory of other people around you. Not the glory of your children or your children's children. What what if your life was devoted to the glory of God? That's how Jesus thought. Everything he did was to bring his father glory. Back to John 11. We're now in verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I think John's just emphasizing the point here. Jesus was in no hurry to get to Lazarus. Not because he didn't care, not because he didn't love him, but because he had greater perspective. Because he was going there to do something that was going to glorify God in every regard. Now from our perspective, a human perspective, you got two, you got three people and they're close to this one guy and they're really close and they love each other and all that. And they send word and say, hey, he's sick. In our world, you know, if, if some of my close inner circle gives me a text and says, hey, he's sick, he may not make it much longer, I'm leaving. I'm going to get to him as soon as I can, because that's friendship. John says, Jesus is two miles away, and when he gets the word, he decides to hang out two days longer. Because he says, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, admittedly, these are four agonizing days. Okay? Imagine being Mary and Martha. Jesus is your last best hope. What emotions would you be going through? Worry, anxiety, fear, frustration, anger, questioning, doubt. I can't imagine a way to spend four days. That would be quite miserable. But here's the thing. Much of our journey, maybe all of our journey, 
with Jesus is learning to wait on his timing and not asking him to act in ours. I'll say that again because some of you write it down. Much of our journey with Jesus is learning to wait on his timing and not asking him to work on ours. Abraham was promised a son, waited 25 years minimum. Moses was a shepherd who waited 40 years before he was in the position that God called him to. Jesus, there's a huge chunk of Jesus' life, over half of it. We get like, he's, he's a baby, and then he's 12, and then he's 30. Okay? He, Jesus himself, the Son of God, waited 30 years, three decades, before he began to engage in the ministry and the purpose that God had called him to. So who are you to think you get to tell God how it's going to work and when you'd like it done? What the psalmist said is true in Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen: Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And so many examples, when people didn't wait for the Lord, is where things got really messed up. While Abraham was waiting for his son, Sarai said, oh, maybe I've got to take matters in my own hands. Hagar, how about you go let Abraham impregnate you? We'll see if the son comes that way. If you know anything about world history, has the descendants of Hagar caused any problems in the world? The descendants of Ishmael? Yeah. If Sarah had just waited on the Lord, things would be a lot different. The disciples saw a risk in returning to Judea. They didn't want to go. They knew there was not a welcome parade awaiting Jesus. But Jesus was obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And after he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again, the disciples said to him, Rabbis, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. There's a lot of deep meaning, to, particularly to verse 10. And 9 and 10, but the point is, this is a culture that was dependent on daylight. We are not dependent on daylight, you know. If, if, if it's, you know, the months of the year where it gets dark early, we flip on a light switch and move on with our lives. But that's not the way it's been for much of human history. <laughs> when the sun was up, that's when you worked. When the sun was up, that's when you traveled. When the sun was up, that's when you got things done. When things got dark, wasn't much you could do without electricity. A little bit of candlelight ain't going to get you very far. Not much they could do but rest. Jesus is reminding them and us that 
we only have so much time to do the work of God. And he certainly knew that better than most. Jesus wanted them to see a greater purpose than just healing Lazarus. We want to see and believe. Jesus wants us to believe and then see. We want to see it and believe. Jesus wants us to believe it, then see it. In John 5.24, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And will not be judged over or judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of God, and those who hear will live. And there's a greater purpose in what Jesus came to do. We have to keep that greater purpose in mind. Uh, to pr- the purpose of, J- of Lazarus's sickness was to lead to Lazarus's death, and the purpose of La- uh, Lazarus's death is to show that Jesus was the resurrection and the life. To make it absolutely clear, undeniably true, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You think Mary and Martha knew that? Probably intellectually. But after their brother died and came back out of the tomb, they never forgot it. Verses 12 through 16. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Which probably is true. As the disciples often did, they misunderstood Jesus. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in his sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called a twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Okay, so this whole thing about sleeping and all of that. Uh, Sleep in the scriptures is often simply a euphemism for death. Some of you are dead right now. But um, uh, scripturally speaking, when you say somebody is sleeping, you're talking about death. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Uh, Clearly, they all slept the next day or night. He's talking about death. We will all be changed. He's saying, "These You Christians, will not all of you will die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. Quick aside here, if you're a theological student, uh, there is a doctrine called soul sleep, which is the idea that once you die, you just basically lay in a state of unconscious limbo. That's how I describe it. Um, That's not what it's talking about here. Scripture is very clear that after death, uh, there is judgment. You go to one side or the other of the Hadean realm, the realm of the dead. So, just so you know, it's not talking about soul sleep. Some people get confused on that. But, uh, Thomas gets a bad rap, I think. You think about Thomas. Been watching the, the Chosen. They've got the actor that plays Thomas. Does a great job. I can't help but just keep thinking there's doubting Thomas. But, 
If you read the Gospel of John especially, that's not how Thomas is portrayed at all. He gets a bad rap because of the last post-resurrection form of Jesus. But everyone forgets John 11. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. He's ready. It's like, well, Lazarus is dead and Jesus is going to wake him up. I'm in. Take me to allow and be like Lazarus, if that's what it takes. That's a pretty strong statement of faith. Thomas is so much more than we give him credit for. The disciples still fail to understand what Jesus is talking about. Some of them don't even understand if he's talking about physical sleep or not. <clears throat> and the risk, they don't understand the risk why he would go back to Judea. But Thomas in a moment of beautiful clarity, understood that wherever Jesus leads, whether places of difficulty or discomfort or even death, any of those places with Jesus are much better than any other places without him. Ted knows a song or two, and I know there's this, Older hymn, anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. That's the idea. We shy away from hardship and discomfort and difficulty in our very comfortable and easy way of living. But discipleship is that mental decision that if Jesus calls me to it, it's better to follow him even unto death Because things are much better wherever Jesus is than where Jesus isn't. But Thomas was also a realist. He knew that following Jesus would cost him. And he followed him anyway. And I think that's very brave. John, whose whole purpose in writing his gospel is encouraging us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And what's interesting is if you look through the Gospel of John, Thomas is called out by name several times in this letter as someone that we could look to as an example of belief. This is the first time. He will later call him out in chapter 14. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? In, in chapter 20, which you read this morning, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, this is speaking to the resurrected Jesus. And so, maybe we ought to give Thomas more credit. Instead of calling him Doubting Thomas, maybe we should call him Trusting Thomas. That's my view anyway. Alright, let me give you three takeaways from these uh, verses here at the beginning of John 11. Number one, Jesus' love is the, the constant in a world of inconsistencies. Uh, it's crazy to me how quickly and fast the world is changing. How uh, uh, the, the, the song that we sing, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. You know that feeling when you're on the beach or you're on the sand? We were at a family event, we were walking, we went to this, they have some property that backs up to the river, and so we all go down there while they're hiding Easter eggs and such. We're down there with the little kids and we get to the sand and it's just, you know, it's just hard to walk through because every step pushes away. There's nothing firm under your feet. 
That's how our world feels these days. And that's how it's always been. It's not just these days. It's always been that way without Jesus. But his love is the only constant in all of that. It's what made Mary and Martha not give up, and it's what caused Thomas and the disciples to follow Jesus even when they doubted, even when they weren't sure what Jesus was doing. Romans 8 tells us, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It's written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Think about Lazarus' story. Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All other ground is sinking sand. So trust is love. It's the only bedrock that I know of. And it's the only consistency. His love for you has never changed. He's never loved you any more or any less than he does right now. And may you not just trust that love for yourself, but may you be willing to share that love with others. Number two, the glory of God is far greater than your own understanding. I want you to think about this whole story and imagine all of the people who who did not understand what was happening. Mary didn't understand. Martha didn't understand. Lazarus certainly didn't understand. The disciples didn't understand. And yet, Jesus still worked for the glory of God. And God still worked through this. So my guess is that you have some things you don't fully understand either. I do. That's okay. God never asks us to understand everything. I think that's one of the parts of the curse. Is the, remember the, the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. I think that's one of the curses. Is we, we, we have intelligence. God's given us that. And we have a desire to know things that are impossible for us to know. And so what do we do here? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your straight, stray your paths. You think after this moment that Mary and Martha and Lazarus trusted Jesus more in times of when they didn't understand? Do you think they conveyed that if they ever had children or grandchildren? Do you think they ever shared that with other people who were sick? Do you think they, they, they shared that with the early disciples? I think they did. I hope they did. The glory of God is greater than my understanding. It just has to be. Number three, it's better to die with Christ. Better to die with Christ than to live in any other state without him. Lazarus knew Jesus well and he still died. But because Jesus knew him, he lived even though he died. Which is a lesson for us. So might we have the same courage 
to tr- the courage of Thomas, by the way, to trust Jesus wherever he leads. <clears throat> As Paul said in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And this requires us giving up ourselves for him. Or as Paul put it more succinctly in Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or as Thomas would say, let us go that we may die with him. Uh, Let's pray, and uh, a gentle reminder, if you don't uh, mind, please, uh, if you take some time and scan the pews and pick up any extra books or uh, throw away any trash and get a few guys to haul some chairs out of here, that would be greatly appreciated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which is ever effective in piercing our hearts for times of doubt, for times of struggle, for times when we are in the valley, for times where we just simply don't understand what you're doing, we are especially grateful for tonight's lessons. Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to share the love of your Son, the only constant in our ever-changing world. Lord, I ask that you would forgive us for the times when we seek our own glory instead of your own, that we depend on our own understanding instead of trusting in you. Help us to trust you more, Father, and to live our lives increasingly more for your glory instead of our own. And Father, I ask that you will give us the courage to commit our lives fully to Jesus, knowing that it is better to die with him than to live in any other state without him. Thank you, Father, for today. It's been good to be reminded of that your Son is the resurrection and the life. It was good to see a man, Bob, start a new life, even in advanced years. Father, we rejoice with the angels in heaven, and we pray that the mission of the church and the work of the church all over the world, and certainly here at Northside, would continue, not for our glory, Father, but purely for yours. May we be as Christ was. May we seek in all things to live for your glory. And we know that your son did that. We pray this all through his name. Amen.